0: Have an anchor that keeps the, soul. the Anchor the of the Soul, soul, soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. The genesis of our country dates back to 1776. Our country has been blessed with prosperity, and there are many, many people that are trying to make their way into this country because they understand the blessings that are associated with America. Many of us have been blessed with the advancements that have come about in this country. When I look at the lifestyle of those of us who live in this country, I can't help but just reflect upon the fact that we are prosperous compared to other nations around the world. A lot of advancements have been made in technology, science, medicine, and so on. We have come a long way in this country, and I'm grateful for all of the advances that have eased our lives in this country. But then the flip side of that is we have come a long way in regressing in some ways. Morally speaking, this country is not what it once was. And there have been changes in our culture. Changes, some for the good, some not so good. But as I look at Acts chapter 18, the question comes to my mind. How do you change a culture? Let's just say a culture is moving in the wrong direction. How would you try to bring that culture back to where it needs to be? Acts chapter 18, I think, provides for us the answer to that question. And the answer is the gospel of Christ is what has the ability to change the landscape of a nation, a kingdom, a city, a state. The gospel of Christ changes people one person at a time. So with that in mind, let's look at Acts chapter 18 for a minute. I want to begin by talking about the time Paul spent in the city of Corinth. Now Paul had been in the city of Athens, and Athens was renowned as an intellectual center in that day and time. Many people were very familiar with Grecian culture. Paul had preached and taught many people in the city of Athens. From Athens, he made his way to the city of Corinth, and Corinth, as you well know, was a city that had a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, the name itself became synonymous with immorality. And so, note if you would, beginning in verse 1. Now Paul spends 18 months in this city, and he did an amazing work among the people there. A lot of folks benefited from the time Paul spent in the city of Athens. So let's just think for a moment or two about the friends and foes that he made in the city of Corinth. First, look at verse 1. Paul, as I said a moment ago, had departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And in Corinth, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. Now, Claudius was the reigning emperor from about A.D. 41 to around A.D. 54 or so. So, at some point in time, this edict had come forth, and all the Jews were to depart from Rome. Now, some have said that Gentiles had difficulty making a distinction between Jews and Christians. And so the Bible says, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Let me just very quickly stress this thought. Aquila and Priscilla were people of conviction. We might say people of faith. Now, a lot of study has gone forth with regard to whether or not they were New Testament Christians. Nothing is said in the book of Acts about their conversion to Christ. Some have taken the position that they were still a part of the Jewish religion at this point in time. I tend to believe that they had been converted if they were not converted at this point in time, then obviously the Apostle Paul made inroads because they do become Christians. As a matter of fact, you'll find that they journeyed with him on his missionary tour here. And then the latter part of the chapter, they pull a man by the name of Apollos to the side and teach him the way more accurately. So whether or not they were Christians at this point, up for debate. I tend to believe that they were. But nonetheless, their conviction and their craft. Paul was a tent maker. And Paul supported himself in many respects by engaging in this type of occupation. Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that he had the right to be supported as a gospel preacher by the church. But nonetheless, Paul spends some 18 months in the city of Corinth. His time there was not idle, but rather he was very productive. So now let's note, if you would, his foes. Look at verse 4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now you remember when the Apostle Paul and Silas were in the city of Thessalonica. For three Sabbaths, they reasoned with those people out of the Scriptures. And they were pointing to Jesus, who is The Christ, that is, the Messiah. Same message in Corinth. In verse 5, the Bible says that Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. Macedonia would have been to the east of where Paul was at this point in time. Paul was constrained by the Spirit, testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But now look at verse 6. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So here we have opposition to not just the message, but also to the messenger. It's very difficult to separate the two, isn't it? I mean, you think about Jesus. Jesus and truth were woven together, were they not? There are some that try to somehow make a distinction between the Lord and His Word. Well, by the same token, Paul here, Paul was preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. He was a messenger of God with a divine message. And he realized that that message was absolutely imperative to get into the hearts and lives of people. And so here is Paul doing everything within his power to share the gospel with the people in the city of Corinth, just as he had done In his earlier missionary endeavors. Now let's think for a moment or two about the truth that Paul shared with the people in the city of Corinth. Look at verse 7 now. As we begin in verse 7, the first thing I want to do is I want you to think about the command to Paul. In verse 7 the Bible says that Paul departed from there, entered the house of a certain man named Justice one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. Many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And here's what he said. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. So, First and foremost, to understand the apprehension of Paul. Now, it's hard for me to think about Paul as ever being in a situation in his life where he was afraid. I mean, when I think about Paul, immediately I think about somebody who was a great soldier of the cross. Strong in his faith, strong in his conviction. One who was willing to do whatever, whenever. To advance the cause of Christ, when you look at all the difficulties and trials that he faced in this life, and here is the Lord saying to Paul, do not be afraid. You know, sometimes we become somewhat fearful, don't we? Sometimes when we think about living the Christian life and trying to share the gospel with people who are lost and dying in sin, there's a sense of fear that might come upon us. Well, Paul had some fears. Jesus talked to people in the first century about the real problem of fear. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent the apostles out, do you remember three times in that context, he said, Do not be afraid. And really, what the Lord is saying here to Paul Paul, I want you to stop being afraid. So, what that says to me is Paul was a human being, wasn't he? Paul was just like we are, clothed in human flesh. He had fears, trepidations. As a matter of fact, when he wrote to the church at Corinth over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 3, Paul recounts this very incident. He said, I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. Doesn't sound a lot like Paul, does it? I mean, can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying that he had been among these people in fear and weakness, that he was trembling? Have you ever been so afraid that you trembled, your knees knocked? That's where Paul was. But now, note if you would, not just his apprehension, but the assurance. And I really like what the Lord said to him. Look at verse 9. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent. Now look at verse 10. Here is Paul. He's among these people. He's in weakness. He is afraid. Much trembling, as he points out to the church at Corinth. And God said, for I am with you. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, what was it he said? Do you remember? Go therefore make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The Hebrew writer said, and some people believe, that the Apostle Paul penned the Hebrew letter. In chapter 13, verse 5, the writer there said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Then he asks this question, what's your man doing to me? Listen, God is on the side of his saints. And here's the Apostle Paul, he's in the city of Corinth, a center of trade and commerce, a great city, a large city. Now note if you would what Luke records here. God said, Do not be afraid, but speak, do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. Assuring words. But now listen to this. For I have many people in this city. Do you know why God wanted Paul in the city of Corinth? I mean, you go back and you just retrace his, just go back and retrace his efforts. This is toward the end of his second missionary journey. And Paul has been to countless cities. He's had the opportunity to stand before many, many people. And God is saying, look, I have strategically placed you in the city of Corinth. And you're here for a purpose. It's true. You might be afraid. You might be fearful. You need to understand, though, number one, I'm with you. And number two, I have many people in this city. God recognized there were a lot of folks in the city of Corinth, and do you know what they needed? More than anything else, it wasn't to become more acquainted with some of the great philosophers of that day, but rather what they needed was Christ. They needed to know something about Jesus. And so here's the Apostle Paul in this great city, among all these people. And God's saying, I have you here for a reason. So, the command. But now think, if you would, about the commitment. Here's here's really the question. Was the Apostle Paul faithful to the command? Well, let's just think for a moment or two about the focal point of his preaching and teaching. Back up, if you would, and look at Acts chapter 18 again. And you remember in verse 5, the Bible says that Paul testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So here's Paul, he's in Corinth, and he's talking to all these people. What do you think the focal point of his message was? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you, but Christ and Him crucified. He would say to the church at Corinth, the preaching of the the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. In his second letter to these people, in chapter 4 at verse 5, Paul said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for His sake. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's talking to various numbers of people in the city of Corinth. His preaching and teaching is all about Jesus, the Son of God. And so, the focus of his preaching and the faithfulness of his preaching. Look again at what the record says down in verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months. Teaching the Word of God among them. There's a third thing I want you to see in our text. First, the time that Paul spent in the city of Corinth. Secondly, the truth that Paul preached in the city of Corinth. But then thirdly, the transformation that resulted from Paul's preaching in the city of Corinth. How much do you believe in preaching and teaching? Do you believe in the power of God's Word? Do you think God's Word has the ability, the power to change the hearts and lives of people? Let me tell you what, Paul believed it. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, the Hebrew writer in chapter 4 said, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word has the ability to bring about radical change in the lives of people. Now, when we talk about the gospel of Christ, we need to understand it is a radical message. And let, me tell, let me say this. When you look at cities like Corinth or Athens or Thessalonica, they needed a radical message. They were living lifestyles that were not in harmony with the will of God. And so they needed Christ. And so the gospel was intended to bring about change in their lives. So we talk, about, we talk about the power of God's Word and how God's Word has the ability to transform the life. And I believe it does. So with that in mind, let's just talk for a moment or two about the spiritual state Of those in Corinth. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Now, Paul here is itemizing some of the problems, spiritually speaking. That these people had in the city understand that in acts chapter 18 god said i have many people in this city people whose lives spiritually speaking were caught up in idolatry and immorality they needed christ didn't they i mean they were lost and dying in sin because paul said the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul said there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The devil uses various tactics to enslave people in a life of sin. So here you have people who are enslaved to a life of sin. Well, what is it? What power has the ability to break the shackles of sin? The servitude imposed by sin. The gospel that's it. And so Paul is in Corinth and he's preaching to these people and their lives are not what they ought to be. And so they need this radical message to make a difference in their lives. And so Paul says, let me tell you what, the means by which you can enjoy a new life is through the new birth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 11 After itemizing some of the problems that existed in the lives of those who lived in that city, Paul said, and such were some of you. He said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So what happened? They had obeyed the gospel they had experienced what Jesus called the new birth. Now Luke says in Acts chapter 18, look again at Acts chapter 18. I want you to see something here. In verse 8, the Bible says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the text says that Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, that he believed in the Lord. And then the record indicates that those who were in Corinth heard the gospel because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. They heard the Word, they believed the Word, and they were baptized into Christ. Well, what about this man? Nothing said here about him being baptized into Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, I thank God I baptized none of you except, listen to him, Crispus and Gaius. Crispus was baptized into Christ. And so, these people, again, experienced the new birth. And through the new birth, they enjoyed a new beginning. Now listen, there are people all over this world that if you said to them, would you like like a brand new start on life? You know what they'd say? Absolutely. Sign me up. Would you like a brand new start? You look at your life. There are some folks, their lives have been destroyed because of choices that they've made. There are people all over our world today that are hurting and suffering. Some, yes, because they've made poor decisions in life. Some because of their associations. The very associations that they made in this life have brought them down the ladder, so to speak. And yet, in Christ Jesus, there is the hope, through the new birth, for a new beginning. Now, when Paul wrote his second letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or chapter 5, actually, in verse 17, Paul said, listen to him, If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means if you're in Christ Jesus, whatever your past may have been is just that. It's in the past. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he talked about how he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent, haughty man. He said, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and Paul said, of whom I'm chief. The gospel was designed for whom? For sinners. Why did Jesus come to earth? To save people from sin. What was Paul doing in the city of Corinth? Paul was preaching the gospel. Why? Because people needed the gospel. By occupation, by trade, he supported himself as a tent maker. But his ultimate primary goal in life was to share the gospel of Christ. He had been appointed a preacher, a teacher, an apostle. And so he's out sharing the gospel of Christ. And through the new birth, people enjoy a new beginning. And not just a new beginning, but new blessings. Go back again and look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Paul said, you were washed. You are sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. To be set apart from the world unto God. If you're a child of God, God has set you apart from the world. Matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul said that God has delivered you out of the power of darkness. That's the world. And there's a clear line of demarcation between the world and the church. And so in Christ, when we are in the Lord, We have been sanctified, set apart. We belong to Almighty God. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God? He said, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. God bought you with His Son's blood, redeemed you, reconciled you in the church. You've now been set apart from the world and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. So when the Apostle Paul began his letter to the church at Corinth, he's writing to people who are members of the church of God, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and then he said, "Call to be saints. Let me tell you what. These people who had been living in idolatry and immorality, whose lives had been turned upside down by sin, God said, look, I have many people in this city People that I love. God loves all people. The message that we're sharing with the lost and dying world is that Jesus loves all people. What was it Jesus Himself said? For God so loved the world. That includes you. That includes everybody. That includes people who are living in adultery and idolatry and homosexuality. It includes people who are living in a state of drunkenness, who are thieves and covetous. It encompasses all people. Here's what Jesus said, Come unto Me, all you that labor. There is no distinction in the eyes of Almighty God. He is no respecter of persons. Did God love the people in the city of Corinth? Yes, He did. That's why Paul was there, to share the Gospel. And so these people, they've been sanctified, they have been justified, They've been acquitted. They can stand before Almighty God. And the basis of their acquittal, the blood of Jesus. That means that every person who is in Christ Jesus enjoys the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus on a regular basis. Do you remember what John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7? The people who have been washed and sanctified and justified, he said that those who walk in the light that we enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus in our lives. If we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us, listen to Him, from all, A-L-L sin. These people had a sin problem. The people in Corinth and Athens and Thessalonica and Antioch and so on, they all had a common problem. The problem was sin. The remedy was the blood of Christ. The answer to sin and unrighteousness in the world in which we live is the gospel. So how do you change a culture? When you look at the culture of Athens, I mean, they had their philosophers. They had those who were followers of Zeno. Others who were following Epicurus. There were those who were practicing idolatry. It was rampant. In the city of Corinth, the same thing. They may not have known that they needed Christ, but Paul was there to let them know. You need the Lord. And Paul was there to change the culture. Now you look around in America today. You think our country, you think our country needs a renovation? You think we need to change the culture of our country? I think we do. Well, how do we do that? Are we going to leave it to politicians to craft legislation? Is it going to be through some type of social program? I mean, is that how we're going to bring about radical change in the world? Are you going to trust the social reformers of our day to bring about what we call justice? Let me tell you what, there's not enough paper in this world to bring about that kind of change. The only thing that will change the landscape of a nation that is eroding morally is the gospel. That's it.